coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. So one of the, I think, best ways that you can kind of assess whether your eating strategy is moving you in the right direction is your body temperature and pulse measurements. This is just a super simple way of assessing energy production. And you shouldn't, truly the best way to do it is three readings throughout the day. So when you wake up in the morning, 30 to 45 minutes after breakfast, and then mid afternoon. And so you generally want to see a trend in those body temperature measurements going up. And so honestly, the biggest thing that I saw with changing not only my dietary strategy, but also lifestyle changes as well was I would, when I was carnivore, my body temperature was 96.5 degrees Fahrenheit. That is very cold and very low. And then now my waking temperatures are low 98s and I commonly reach like 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. And when I'm in a stressful state in life, I notice that my body temperature trends downward, right? And so that's just a sign, you know, okay, it's a busy season in life. I got high cortisol right now, and that's having a negative impact on my metabolism. So kind of using that like body temperature and pulse measurements as just kind of a gauge of the state of your metabolism and whether you're moving the needle forward in your health. It's so simple. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed Ashley Armstrong from the Strong Sisters. Ashley and her sister, Sarah, run a regenerative farm and are passionate about nutrition, weight training, cooking, and bringing quality food to the masses. We discussed how Ashley overcame Renaud's, along with the importance of eating easy-to-digest foods, prioritizing quality-saturated fats, the purpose of measuring body temp and pulse, the importance of balancing the calcium-to-phosphorus ratio, and her one tip to get your body back to what it once was. Really enjoyed my interview with Ashley. I know you will, too. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. All right. Welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin, and I have Ashley Armstrong on. Welcome to the show. Hey, Brian. Thanks so much for having me on. I am dealing with a little bit of allergies. I'm, for whatever reason, triggered by ragweed still. So there's some underlying health issue that I still haven't worked out because every year for one week in August, I get some seasonal allergies from ragweed. So Mm. my voice seems a little off. I'm a little sleep deprived because just the sinuses are flowing in the middle of the night, but I'm going to try my best to be clear with my responses, but that's kind of why my voice seems a little off right now, but I'm happy to be here. So thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I'm a listener of your podcast rooted in resilience that you and your sister uh, started what, like not too long ago. Yeah, we did a season one. And so now we're in between season one and season two, and we just have so much going on um, with starting our new business and the farm. And so we're taking a pause on podcast recordings, but we will jump back in in season two this fall once we kind of get this new business up and running. Um, But it's been it's been a lot of fun because something that I just appreciate about podcasts is you can always discuss nuance and context, whereas, you know, short form social media on Instagram and TikTok it's seven seconds, right? And you, there is no way that you can provide enough nuance and context. And so there's just these extreme viewpoints. And I think it's causing 
a lot of confusion in the health sphere for the average consumer. And so just podcasts are just more informative. They're more fun and people can learn a lot more. So we've enjoyed starting that up and we're excited to continue with seasons over time. Yeah. And, uh, I noticed you have, is the new business, this, uh, Angel Acres, is that the new one or is that something else? Okay. No. Uh, so we have our strong sisters business and then we have our farm Angel Acres, but we're okay. starting a new, um, farm cooperative and it's called nourish. And so it's basically our farm Angel Acres is one of the suppliers to nourish. And so basically mm. we want to be like in one-stop shop for all things, hundred percent grass-fed meat, um, organic corn and soy free, low PUFA chicken and pig products, and then all raw dairy products, dog food, traditional sourdough products, all in one place. And so we've been working a lot behind the scenes to vet partner farms, create new products. And we're almost at the place of like hitting launch, um, and take on our first round of customers. But, um, that's exciting. Week, yeah. It, it's like, hundred percent what we were meant to do. Cause it combines our love for like human health and like optimal nutrition, which I think honestly comes down to the types of fat that you're consuming in your diet. Also with regenerative agriculture and how animals are fed and raised. And so being able to provide people with these products is just so fulfilling and so fun. So it's just been a ton of work, but like hundred percent what I was meant to do. That's awesome. I could tell. Yeah. And before you got into farming and your podcasting, maybe just give a little bit of background of like what sort of brought you down this route. Um, I know you've had overcome a few health issues as well. Yeah. So I uh, <laughs> am a mechanical engineer. So I did mechanical engineering in undergrad, um, but I also was a varsity athlete. And so playing division one golf plus mechanical engineering and being like a perfectionist at the same time and sleeping very little. I think that that did a lot of damage to my health in that period of time. Um, and then I just decided to keep going on that education path and go to grad school and get a PhD in mechanical engineering. And so finally this just like extremism of all the bad things I've done for my health growing up, especially in that really important adolescent period, all of that caught up to me at an early age. And so I think I'm kind of an example of like how orthorexia and extreme health states, especially at a young age can cause health problems. So like orthorexia is real and can cause issues for people. And I think that that's one of the issues of like mainstream or not mainstream, but just like social media health platforms is people are literally afraid to eat food. And there's people that are overeating food, but then there's also people that are drastically under eating and kind of going to these extremes. And I think that those, those states are just as dangerous and they can catch up to you because human beings don't just run on air. We, we need food, um, to have a, a well-functioning metabolism. So gosh, I've dealt with, I've pretty much done every single extreme diet there is. I was, uh, like plant-based at one time, self-proclaimed vegan but I still ate eggs. So we call ourselves vegans. Um, and then very much like if it fits your macros approach where, you know, as long as you hit your macro targets, you can eat whatever you want, like pop tarts and crap bread and ridiculous food that I ate at the time. Um, and so I had, um, amenorrhea and also like autoimmune conditions. So super cold, uh, fingers and toes Raynaud's 
um, mm. and really bad constipation and digestion issues, all kind of a signal of just your metabolism is suffering. Your body is not good at producing energy and you're extremely stressed out. So that kind of caught up to me at a early age in graduate school. And, um, I just became absolutely obsessed with trying to fix myself rather than going down like the pharmaceutical path. And in grad school, I started realizing that most of my free time was being spent learning about health and food and regenerative agriculture. And so I finally was like, I'm going to become a farmer and we're going to pursue our health interests full time. And so after I got my PhD, Sarah and I moved to the farm. Um, we kind of pursued strong cystis full time and are going down this regenerative agriculture path because I just truly believe that the way that animals are fed and raised really impacts human health. And so the state of the health of America, I think, is a result of our food system. And hopefully we can try to change that in, in any way. So kind of a long story of just, I ran into health issues myself. And I think that that's when you, when someone wakes up and realizes how important it is, you can't really tell someone they've got to kind of go through the challenges themselves. So I kind of experienced that at a relatively early age. And that's kind of what pushed me down the path of learning about how I can be as healthy as possible. Yeah. And I, I've noticed you've clung on to, I should clung on to, but like you've learned or you've portrayed this bioenergetic viewpoint where I know you've on your podcast have, has had Danny Roddy and Georgie Dinkoff, who I've had on mine. And how did uh, Ray Pete's, you know, research influence the way, you know, you went about your health? Yeah. I think that Ray, Ray Pete has had a huge impact on my health and I didn't even like talk to him that long. I feel like Danny and Georgie knew him for so much longer, but I think the thing that Ray made me realize was that what matters most is the internal state of the body. And so how, how the body is functioning internally will impact every single function of the body. So no function is independent of each other. So for example, um, how your digestion is is related to like how well your hair grows because it all goes back to how well your body is producing energy. And the better that your body is able to produce energy from the food that you consume, the more energy your body has to properly perform functions throughout your body because the structure of a certain organ in your body is dependent on energy production and structure and function of that organ and tissue are in, like interdependent. They, they rely on each other. And so I think that that was the most eye-opening thing is like, oh, the better you are producing energy, the more energy your body will have. And so then you can just function better. Um, so that is, was a, a sigh of relief compared to these like diet rules of like, this is bad and this is good because that provides no context. It just elicits fear and it doesn't provide any sort of education about human physiology. And when you learn human physiology, you become you get food awareness. You don't get food fear. And so I think it was just like a huge sigh of relief. Um, and it was not only like, I, I didn't, I personally noticed an improvement in my health, but I also noticed an improvement in how I viewed food. It allowed me to move past and break through those orthorexic food boundaries that a lot of the previous diets that I was on kind of inflicted on me. 
and what were some of maybe the the big things that you changed from how you were eating before and what you're doing now and um i know you mentioned uh renauds uh i'm curious to know is, is that something that you've gotten rid of or that yeah. has diminished yeah. yeah so one of the i think best ways that you can kind of assess whether your eating strategy is moving you in the right direction is your body temperature and pulse measurements this is just a super simple way of assessing energy production and you shouldn't the, truly the best way to do it is three readings throughout the day so when you wake up in the morning 30 to 45 minutes after breakfast and then mid afternoon and so you generally want to see a trend in those body temperature measurements going up and so honestly the biggest thing that i saw with changing not only my dietary strategy but also lifestyle changes as well was i when i was carnivore my body temperature was 96.5 degrees fahrenheit that is very cold and very low and then now my waking temperatures are low 98s and i commonly reach like 98.6 degrees fahrenheit and when i'm in a stressful state in life i notice that my body temperature trends downward right and so that's just a sign you know okay it's a busy season in life i got high cortisol right now and that's having a negative impact on my metabolism so kind of using that like body temperature and pulse measurements as just kind of a gauge of the state of your metabolism and whether you're moving the needle forward in your health it's so simple um so i think that that was kind of the biggest thing and the it's hard to michigan is like a great test right because we we experience very cold winters and nice summer temperatures and so in the summer your body temperature can be skewed a little bit just because it's so hot outside but if you're reaching 98 in the winter time that is a sign of a well functioning machine just like generating energy because a byproduct is heat right um and so yeah i am much more cold intolerant because my body's just better at producing energy and as a byproduct producing heat um and so i don't i don't experience those symptoms um anymore yeah and one of the ways you did that was that just from eating more uh i think it's really hard to just dial in one thing and i think that that one thing for everyone is going to be a little bit different you just kind of have to go back to principles right so when we think of humans we want to use a lot of our energy for our brain power and we don't want to use a ton of energy for digestion so i think a, a big principle is prioritizing easy to digest foods however that can vary person to person so like i do extremely well with sourdough bread Sarah doesn't do as well with sourdough bread. And so I think kind of figuring out what foods you're digesting well and kind of prioritizing those because that's going to put less digestive stress on you and then your body can utilize that food more for energy production. So I think prioritizing easy to digest foods. Back when I was a vegan, I was just eating massive amounts of like beans, cabbage, beans, um I don't, my plates were just so much roughage. Right. Um, and I think a little bit of fiber is beneficial, but you don't have to go overboard. Right. Um, so I think understanding digestibility of certain food groups is super important, but honestly, I think one of the most important things is prioritizing the types of fat that you're eating. Um, because there is now like more and more evidence that the types of fat in your diet will impact the types of fat 
inside of you. So that'll make up the membranes in your body, different fatty acids floating around, make up the structures of various organs and tissues. And that plays a huge role on just creating conditions inside your body that signal various like, oh, it's hibernating or torpor season or, okay, we should burn fuel. So I think prioritizing saturated fats over polyunsaturated fats is vital. And again, the amount of fats that someone consumes is very different and will vary season to season. But as long as we're prioritizing more saturated fats, so ruminant animal fats like beef, lamb, dairy products, very high in saturated fats, honestly, like cocoa butter and chocolate. So prioritizing those saturated fat products and minimizing PUFA products as much as we can. Um, I think that that's been super important for energy production as well. And then overall lifestyle, right? Like you can't expect to just push, 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 always live in a state of cortisol. You can't kind of fight that with diet, right? You have to be able to give yourself that, that rest and digest and that relaxation time as well. So I think it's a combination of experimenting with your diet and prioritizing easy to digest and saturated fats. And then also um, making sure that your lifestyle isn't negatively contributing to your health, adding extreme amounts of cortisol and stress um, to an already stressful environment. How long were you carnivore for? Um, maybe a year and a half, something like that. Um, and I think that was a beneficial stage for me because gosh, I prioritize ruminant animals. And so I, I became very saturated in that time. And so I think that that was beneficial. Right. And I also got rid of all of these digestive, all of these foods that could have been serving as digestive issues. So there were a number of benefits to that. Um, but I also combined it with a lot of fasting. Um, and so I think that maybe if I would have done more like three or four meals a day, didn't fast, maybe I wouldn't have ran into health issues as soon as I did, but mm -hmm. there were signs that my metabolism was slowing, slowing and slowing and slowing. My hair started to thin. Um, and my hormones weren't great. And also my body temperature. That was, I think the most eye-opening thing when I learned about Ray Pete and I took my body temperature, I was like, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I know that's that's it's such a simple thing that people can do. Yeah, uh, the body temperature and the pulse, and so you do that three times a day. You don't do you do you do that anymore, or or that you just did that in the beginning? So I think that I understand why it's hard for people to do because it is very time consuming. Um, especially if you want to do it properly, you technically need to sit there with a thermometer in your mouth for like three to five minutes. And you've got to keep track of that. It's just another thing to add to your schedule, right? So I don't do it right now. I was definitely utilizing it a lot in the beginning when transitioning out of carnivore and kind of trying to learn how in the heck do I raise my body temperature? Um, and so I don't use it right now, but I think that it's a very useful tool for someone who is experiencing health issues right now. It's a very simple way to see if what you're doing right now and the changes that you're making, if they're actually moving the needle forward in your health, they provide you a very like clear yes or no, because if your body temperature is trending downwards, that that's not a good sign. If it's trending upwards, then keep going. And so since then, now you guys have your own farm with uh, how many animals do you have on the farm? 
So we now have a thousand layer birds. So birds that are producing eggs. We have 70 lamb, two cows, mm. 10 pigs, and then a hundred meat birds. So chickens that are raised for meat and those live in the trees. So we have a quite a lot of moving parts here at the farm. And then we have four guard dogs and three house dogs. So we oh have my a God. Lot, lot of animals. <laughs> yeah. And so the guard dogs, they're just keeping, uh, what are they, what's their job? They are incredible creatures. So they're a blend of uh, great Pyrenees and Anatolian shepherd, and mm. we've done zero training. It's just natural instincts. And so, for example, if I'm sitting with one of the guard dogs, Cooper in the field, and he sees like a bird cir circling above us, he just goes off and starts barking at it. And then at night I've watched him chase a gr large group of coyotes away. Really? It's just like innate instincts. Um, that's just, we, we evolved with these dogs to like help us better herd and manage ruminant animals. And so it's just cool to uh, kind of learn about that history of like not only guard dogs, but also herding dogs and how like we domesticated these dogs to help us better manage, for example, large herds of sheep or things like that. So it's just in their blood and they kind of nap during the day and then they're nocturnal and they're awake at night. Mm. So he just does his rounds and fight, uh, fights off any coyotes or raccoons or anything like that. That's amazing. And you no training. This is just, that's pretty cool. What kind of dog in, you have to buy these, you probably have to get them somewhere special or like at a certain breeder. That, yeah, you know. we had, we had a local farm that was selling some. And so we got one, um, early last year and then we got another one and then they had a litter of puppies. So we wow. bought two and then we had a litter of 11 puppies and kept two of those. Um, but yeah, it's great Pyrenees and Anatolian shepherd. Um, okay. both of those breeds are really great. I personally love the combination of them. And they're big dogs. Huh? Yes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they're fighting very, off herds of coyotes. Very big, very big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, what are the some of the sort of the the high level big, you know, let's say someone's maybe feel like, I don't know. I think like you talk about, a lot of people do undereat. Um yeah. and they're you know this is you know they maybe they're overactive and they undereat. Um, what type of high level things could people do? And when you talk about digestion. Uh, easy to digest foods, and these I'm assuming you're 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 gearing towards like um, certain carbohydrates that are easier to digest than others, things like fruit and honey and things like that. Yeah. Um. So real quick on like the people are probably eating less, so or yeah. like not enough. I think it can kind of go like both ways. So on both ends of the spectrum. So people that are way too lean, not eating enough, and then also people who are overweight. I've seen, we've had a number of people go through our course and kind of looking at their day-to-day -day eating, there's this consistent trend of like, if they eat breakfast, it's really small. It's like 200 calories. Mm -hmm. Maybe they eat like 300 calories for lunch and then just like a really small dinner. And then their body is starving and they binge right at the end of the day. If we invert that and we prioritize three fulfilling meals, then your body isn't as starving for food. Right. And so I think making your meals count and making them fit your lifestyle and fuel your lifestyle 
regardless of where you are on the body weight scale, I think can be super powerful because if you're eating really small meals and starving at a certain point, like you're gonna binge. So I think for everyone finding like a structure, whether that's three meals a day or four meals a day, where you can just create a nice meal that fulfills your energy and protein needs that can lend to better behavior later in the day, not necessarily binge and things like that. So in terms of how to fill those meals, I think that the percentage of carbs and fat is going to vary depending on how much muscle someone has. I personally have been strength training for a very long time and I have a decent amount of muscle for a female. And so I do well with a decent amount of fat in my diet. I'm not like 40 to 50%, but we, this is like a slight difference than the extreme pro metabolic people who say like zero fat. Um, I think that as long as we prioritize saturated fats, saturated fats do not have the same um, metabolism inhibiting effects that polyunsaturated fats do. So PUFAs can actually downregulate metabolism. They can signal hibernation and torpor inside of a body. And so your cells can become uh, like they can, it can create signals to store energy rather than burn energy. Saturated fats don't have that same signal. So I think the percentage of carbs and fats in someone's diet can vary a lot. And I don't think that life is about finding a perfect one of that. I think it's about finding a way that's sustainable for you, something that you enjoy because food should be uh, fulfilling. You should get enjoyment out of your food because that's how it's going to be sustainable two, three, four years down the line. Um, and so for those carbohydrates, I think it can be a blend of sucrose sources. So in season fruits, uh, raw honey, maple syrup, even some organic cane sugar, and then also with properly prepared starches. So starches have been a part of our ancestors diet for a very long time, but not in the way that average Americans consume them now. So if we take a look at like ancestral trends, you know, you've got sourdough bread where the wheat is long fermented to break down those anti-nutrients to improve the digestibility, to break down that gluten. Then you've got things like masa harina flour, where the corn is nixtamalized, which reduces the anti-nutrients again, improves the digestibility, improves the nutrient bioavailability in that corn starch. Um, so just many trends like that, where our ancestors really prioritized how they prepared those starches. And so I think some combination of those, depending on your digestive state, depending on your activity level, um, will, will be totally fine for carbohydrate needs. And then in terms of fat, really prioritizing those ruminant fats. So whether that's just, uh, fat on your steaks or in your beef or lamb, uh, fat in your dairy products, coconut oil, uh, cocoa, butter, and chocolate. Um, and then if you're going to consume eggs, chicken, and pork, trying to source those from corn and soy free, properly prepared or properly fed chicken and pig animals. Um, and I honestly think I've people going through our course, I've seen people experience success with a wide range of macro targets, but implementing those principles seem to do really well. And your course, tell me a little bit about the course. Um, yeah. And who's that geared towards? Yeah. yeah. So 
we, we do have a lot of like free resources and downloads on our website as well. The course is really interested in someone who is interested in learning more, learning more about human physiology and kind of what, how our metabolism works, not at a super deep biochemistry level, but understanding how certain foods that we're consuming is going to impact energy production. And kind of the, the biggest thing we see from people coming out of the course is just letting go of food fears, letting go of this dogmatic thinking about food, and instead moving forward with food awareness and enjoyment of food and a better understanding of how to properly fuel themselves while also enjoying food and not living in this orthorexic state. So it's kind of like a collection of all the mistakes that we we've made. Yeah. Yeah. And you talk about it. You've talked about it a few times on your Instagram and on this course, as far as a, a calcium to phosphorus ratio, maybe explain that just a bit. Yeah. Um, it's funny how, so I, one of my favorite activities is reading literature and going in Google scholar and like I don't know, you go on these rabbit holes of like one study leads to another study leads to another study. And I spend a lot of time looking at literature in like livestock. And for example, in dog nutrition studies, in goat nutrition studies, there's just well documented of like calcium to phosphorus ratio is very important. And you really got to make sure that that calcium to phosphorus ratio is balanced. Um, and so there's also evidence in human studies as well, that a calcium to phosphorus ratio is advantageous at the cellular level. And it creates this internal environment that signals better energy production. It signals, it, it helps your body improve energy production and uh, allows us essentially to have more energy to function better throughout the body. Um, and so Dr. Ray Pete has mentioned this a number of times, and he's actually discussed some studies where people in trying to lose weight in energy deficits, if they've prioritized a, a better calcium to phosphorus ratio, they've actually seen better weight loss results. And I think it just goes back to just improve energy production because the signals inside of our body, if it's telling the mitochondria to burn energy, your calories out are also ultimately going to be increased. If the signals inside your body are signaling to store energy, then your calories out, your basal metabolic rate is going to be downregulated a little bit. Um, and so I think that paying attention to your total calcium to phosphorus ratio can just be advantageous for a number of things. I personally saw it increase my body temperatures. So that was a sign that my energy production was improving and you don't have to be super strict about this. The way that I like to just explain to people is like, okay, foods that are high in calcium are going to be all dairy products and maybe like collard greens and then also fruit is going to be a little bit more of a balanced calcium to phosphorus ratio. High phosphorus foods are going to be meat and grains. That does not make them bad at all. I consume these every single day. But just when you're consuming a meat, try to just consume some dairy with it. When you're consuming some grains, try to consume some dairy or some fruit with it. And so just thinking about these things and balancing one with the other, you don't have to have this extreme view. Instead, it's just, okay, let me just consume these minerals and these nutrients in a more balanced and appropriate manner. Yeah. It's interesting. You, you, you wrote, um, yeah, like dairy, collard greens, um, yogurt, yogurt, something I love. And yeah. a lot of times I'll have that with fruit. Um, and then you mentioned to balance those out, uh, meat, organs, eggs, 
seafood, grains. Um, I'm not a big grain. I don't know. I just, you probably make your own bread and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I could see that. I noticed on your, you make a lot of different things. So, like one of them uh, that I'd like to learn is the the yogurt would be cool. That seems like it could be time consuming and yeah. uh, ice cream. Yes. Ice cream is a superfood. <laughs> ice, ice cream is a superfood. It absolutely <laughs> is. Um, I think we've just like modern industrialization of our food system has just made, has food quality has gone down. Cost of food's gone down. Production has gone up at the consequence of our health, right? And so if we just go back to 100, 150 years ago, how they were making these food products, like we'd be in much better health. And back in the day, ice cream was just traditionally some raw cream, raw yolks, some sort of sugar source and like syrup maybe. And then, yeah, yeah. that's the beauty. And now it's, there's all these gums and high fructose corn syrup. Um, They probably find a way to sneak vegetable oil in there some way, carrageenan, all of these like compounds that are negatively contributing to health inside of our body, causing gut disruption, opening up the uh, permeability of our gut walls. The, The food system is a nightmare. It's a mess. Yeah. So yeah, like well, when, it, when in doubt, the best thing someone can do for themselves is to learn how to cook their own meals. If you cook 95% of your food, 90 to 95% of your meals, you are, I guarantee you, you're going to be in better health than if you were eating out more often. Totally agree. I mean, my wife and I try to cook every meal for at yeah. home. Yeah. yeah. And I would say nine out of 10, we're probably at. Um, so I noticed you do some cold plunging. Do you still do that? <laughs> I I do not do cold plunging. Okay. <laughs> so this is where this is where Sarah and I differ. Yeah. Because I know I, I know yeah. that's not maybe a pro metabolic thing to do. Um, I do enjoy doing it every once in a while though. That's Sarah too. She'll yeah. she'll do it once every two months, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a daily thing. Um, I mean if someone were to bring me to a lake or a river and said like, let's jump in. Sure. You know, like that's fun. Um, but I think that it has become this orthorexic thing again. Right. And people are looking for these shortcuts on how to lose fat. And they think that, you know, doing a cold plunge is going to somehow impact I don't know. I don't even know what the messaging is these days. It's going to impact your leptin signaling and brown fat versus white fat. And it's just like, just master the basics first. Like, don't get lost in the minors major, like don't, don't get lost there. And I think that it's just, again, one of those fads. Um, I like to point to the literature that supports that ice baths after workouts negatively inhibit muscle hypertrophy and muscle growth. And I think that that's a huge thing because most of America is under muscled, right? And if we're doing something that's negatively going to inhibit muscle regrowth, I don't think that's a good thing. Um, If someone, if it helps someone temporarily reduce inflammation so that they can better move throughout their day, I'm not going to tell you to stop, right? Like if it is, if you are seeing significant benefits, benefits from it, great. But if your body temperature trends are going downwards after continuous, continuous, continuous ice baths, I don't think that that's going to lend you well a year later. So pay attention to your body temperature and pulse measurements, 
Are you able to maintain your weight while eating the same amount of food? Or are you seeing that you have to reduce your food to combat this excess stress and potentially downregulate metabolism? Um, if it's helping you with pain, if it's helping you move better, I'm not here to tell you to stop doing that. But I think we really need to let go of trying to find these shortcuts, shortcuts to health. When in reality, if someone were to get eight to 10,000 steps a day, strength train three times a week, sleep eight hours a night and cook most of their food, that's going to elicit benefits. There's not going to be shortcuts that you can um, try to overcome by these other potential trends. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, you got to focus on sort of the the big levers, yeah. the things that are really help. Like you mentioned, managing stress, sleeping yeah. well, um, resistance training, going for walks, getting outside, getting some sunlight. Yes, absolutely, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. I yeah. do. I uh, I co plunge usually on off days. Um, okay. so just as a recovery, uh, tool, okay. uh, but I, yeah, so I enjoy doing it every once in a while. Um, what about raw milk? I've, I've, uh, there's a farm. Uh, I know you're, you're from originally from Illinois, not too far from where I'm at, but, uh, there's one, uh, 45 minutes West and I think it's in Dundee. Um, okay. and I've gotten raw milk from there, from them before. What, what are your thoughts on raw milk? I think that raw milk is a superfood, right? So pasteurization was just relatively recently invented. And prior to that, so prior to the early 1900s, um, we've been consuming milk straight from the teats for millennia, right? <laughs> um, and whether that was just straight drinking the milk or if it was fermenting the milk because we didn't have refrigeration and it was turned into cheese or cottage cheese or buttermilk or things like that, um, that has been a part of our culture and tradition for a very, very long time. Um, and I think one of the things that is a problem with pasteurized conventional milk is a few things, but first is that a lot of it is fortified with synthetic vitamins and those vitamins can have certain carriers and compounds in them. And there's some studies demonstrating that people aren't actually allergic to the milk, but they're actually allergic to these additives that are added to the milk. Um, and also homogenization. So this process that like breaks up the fat globules, um, that all that can also negatively impact the fat digestibility of the milk as well. So there are consequences to altering one of mother nature's creations and humans. This is just kind of another trend that humans think that we are smarter than mother nature. Um, are there people that can handle pasteurized milk? Totally fine. Absolutely. But there are also a ton of people who can only drink raw milk. And so raw milk has these sets of enzymes that lead to a higher production of the lactase enzyme inside of you, which helps you break down the lactose. So especially people who are sensitive to lactose, which is one of, which is a one of the carbohydrates inside milk, you need the lactase enzyme to break down that lactose. Um, raw milk can re be really advantageous there because drinking it can help boost your own lactase enzyme production, and then you can digest the lactose. Um, I also think that it gives you an opportunity to directly support farmers. Um, and that is probably one of my biggest passions is not supporting the centralized food system because 
large, big agriculture companies are making a ton of money and small farmers are making seven cents for every dollar sold at the grocery store. And so by buying raw milk from farmers that you know and trust, you're supporting small scale regenerative agriculture and you're not supporting like the big food system. So I think that that's kind of an important point as well. It just provides an opportunity to not only support farmers directly, but if you can go visit the farm or maybe follow that farm on social media, it can give yourself and also maybe your kids a chance to see what real farming is. Um, and I think that that is a experience that needs to be done at a young age, going and visiting farms to understand how food is grown and raised. And then the result is a growing population that understands that food shouldn't be made in a lab. It shouldn't be uh, corn and soy monocrop fields. Agriculture should be a collection of small farms where animals are rotated around living outside. Um, and so I think it kind of goes down. It it's There are health benefits to drinking raw milk. There's potentially more vitamins, active enzymes, potentially more minerals, more bioavailable nutrients, and it's potentially easier to digest. But then I think there's also kind of more um, life experience and potentially the chance to support farming uh, opportunities as well. I think it's a multi-prong benefit there. And uh, you'll be selling on your your new company that you're starting called, it's called Nourish. Is that the yep. name of it? Yeah. And will, will you be able to ship every, everywhere eventually? Um, or at least in the States? are selling to cats and dogs. Okay. Starting yep. with animals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the, okay. uh, that's... Um, due to CDC guidelines and FDA regulations, um, we can't legally say that it is for that it is, uh, safe for human consumption. And so we are selling for cats and dogs and whether or not you feel like it is. Okay. You're talking about just the raw milk part. What about, yes. what about the other things? Um, yeah, so we are, um, just the way that we're going to phrase our website is everything is for cats and dogs, pets <laughs> for your pets. Okay. And, um, we produce, we make sure that this food is produced to the same rigorous standards. And if you choose to consume it, then that is like your own risk and your choice. Um, yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but I think that, uh, it not only raw milk, but then also like raw cheese as well. I think that people can digest that a lot better. And the reason being is raw cheese is typically created and produced in using traditional practices. Whereas a lot of like potentially pasteurized cheese, there's a lot of shortcuts. There's a lot of weird additives, gums, flavorings, colorings, agents that are added to those cheeses. And so again, just another centralized industrialized food product that can potentially that should be a superfood food, but it can potentially cause digestive issues for people because of all these additives and weird fillers um, that, yeah, weren't there a hundred years ago. You mentioned you had the autoimmune um, called Renaud's, right? That's, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. And, th and that's when your fingers sort of, or your, or your, your fingers or hands um, or your toes, I guess, get really cold and, and turn white. Is that right? Is that yeah, the so main? If you think about it in terms of like a systemic level energy production, 
If your body is not producing adequate energy to serve all of the organs and tissues in your body, what area is it going to prioritize keeping warm? The inside of your body. Yeah. yeah. The central organ system, right? right? So your organs function best when they are at 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. And so keeping that midsection warm is going to be your body's main priority to keep you alive. It is not a high priority to make your fingers and your toes warm. So it's not going to divert energy and precious resources out to your end ligaments. Yeah. Got it. And so did you, did you, you increased your body temperature over time? Would you say that's a combination of the foods you ate and the amount? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I was definitely on the side of not eating enough. And unfortunately that happened to me at a very young age, like age 15, I wasn't eating enough. And so my growth development during adolescence was definitely jeopardized. Um, I think I would have been better off if I overate at that time, Mm -hmm. giving, giving my body the signal of abundance and it had the energy to do the proper hormone production and things like that. But yeah, so from a young age, um, I don't think that I was fueling myself enough and an under fueled organism is not going to function optimally. That is just a straight fact. Like if you were to compare two organisms, one underfed, and then another one fed an abundance of good energy, the one that has more like essentially your food is going to be broken down. Like it's electrons to produce energy that, that, that organism is going to function better in the end because it has more energy to run all of the functions needed. Okay. This is great. And, uh, so your big next project nourish, we'll look out for that. Uh, one of the questions I typically ask, and you've probably answered it a few times, but if you were going to give someone, um, a tip to perhaps get their body back to what it once was 10, 15 years ago, what one tip would you give that individual? Okay. This is hard, but I think that cooking your meals, I, I truly think that it comes down to that. There is no way that you can be healthy and be in control of your health. If your food is in the hands of a restaurant or some fast food chain, I think that prioritizing cooking your meals at home is base level number one. Um, I don't think that health can be changed. So like If you're thriving and you're eating out a ton, you keep doing you. But if you're struggling with your health, if you're not happy with your body composition and you're eating out a lot, step one is to prepare your food at home. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. Well, this is great. Best place for people to find you and your sister, the strong Um, sisters. (laughs) Yeah. So we have uh, two Instagram accounts at strong.sistas. And then our farm has an Instagram account as well. It's at angel underscore underscore acres. Um, and then armstrongsisters.com is our website and that'll have links to everything else as well. Um, it'll have links to nourish and our farm and we have our nourish food cooperative, which is essentially going to be like direct to consumer, like delivering food directly to your door, doing all that vetting for you. Um, but then we're also going to be introducing agro-tourism at our farm. And so if you're interested in, you know, a day in the life on the farm, um, our Airbnb on our wedding barn should be opening in October of this year, maybe November. That's the goal. So be on the lookout for that as well. How far um, are you from Chicago? 
Yeah, we should get you here. We are probably, if you take the Skyway, um, probably two hours, oh. two hours, 15 minutes. Oh, but you're oh. north of the city. So yeah. maybe two and a half. Depending oh, that's on the not traffic. bad. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so we'll come. Yeah. Yeah. Interested in trying some raw goat milk straight from the goat teats, uh, doing some farm chores. Yeah. Yeah. My wife would be great at that. You can put her <laughs> to work. I'll just hang out. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Ashley, this was fun. Um, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, also we'll check out, if you haven't checked out their podcast, Rooted in Resil- Resilience, which I know you're going to start recording up again soon. So yeah. a lot of stuff going on. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, but thanks again so much for coming on. And we'll put all the uh, links in the show notes so people can can find you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine and I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.